0: Welcome. Uh, glad you're here at church this morning. If you haven't filled out a card yet and you'd like to um, just find out more about the church, let us know who you are. Um, put prayer requests on there, decisions you've made, um, hospital visits, anything kind of thing like that. Use it as a way to communicate with the staff. I don't know if you've ever wished for a do-over, but chances are you have before. And uh, life is filled with the need for do-overs, right? And, and as we look back on those who welcome Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. By looking back on it, what we could think about is this. If only they could have a do-over. Many, many people had the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, but most said no. And then if they, once they found out, realized who this Jesus was, I'm sure they would have longed for a do-over. Us in here, we would have probably longed to say, wow, wouldn't it be great if we had the chance, knowing what we know now, to welcome Jesus properly. That baby deserved a party. Amen? Yeah, that's how, that's how he should have been welcomed. Instead, he was born in a barn. Well, guess what? We, we really have the same choice in front of us today as people the first time Jesus came had in front of them. That is to ignore Jesus or to welcome him. We're hearing from Peter this morning. Peter is a guy who was welcomed by Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends. And Peter was there when Jesus promised this promise I am coming back for you. And Peter was there when Jesus left. Here's kind of his flow of thought. If you want to open the scriptures, we'll be in Second Peter chapter 3. We're nearing kind of our wrap-up of this book. We'll finish up next week. And if you're new with us, here's sort of the, the flow of thought that we've been watching in these last couple of weeks here in Second Peter 3. Jesus is coming again. That's a dominant message that he wants to get out to his friends. He left suddenly in the clouds. He's coming back in the same way. It will be unexpected. So ready yourself for his return. He's going to come back. So the question is, how can I welcome Jesus? What does that look like? We are going to discover some ways. How many of you saw what just came on the screen? A couple of you. Many of you didn't. You know why? Here's why. You weren't ready. Everyone ready now? Okay, here's how you welcome him. You know why you caught it the second time? Why? Because you were ready for it. That's the message this morning. The message is, be ready for it. It's going to come unexpectedly. A handful of you caught it the first time. Guess what? There isn't coming a second time. That's one of the big ideas I want you to grab hold of this morning. Now you're all going to have your eyes glued to the screen. You're like, I'm not being duped again. Let me see what it is. All right, who knows how to get ready for church? Let me see your hands. Just a handful of you. That's incredible. That's actually a whole second sermon that we're going to do next year, I think. That's good. Um, I need some help from some of our younger kids. Give me three ways to get ready for church. Tell me some things you need to do to get ready for church. What do you need to do? What do you got? Tell me. Yeah, what do you got? Get the donuts for the church. This is the donut family. Give it up for the donut family. Daniel, we appreciate you. We don't say it often enough, but faithfully every week. <coughs> so donuts is number one. That's, that's the right order, too. What do you got? What? <coughs> get your Bible for church. Absolutely. That's a great way to get ready for church. Sadie, you got one more? Brush your teeth. Brush your teeth. Thank you. Thank you for that one. That's very, very important. Um, all right. So those are three ways to get ready for church. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this morning three ways to get ready to welcome Jesus, okay? So if you're taking notes, you can, you can kind of follow along and fill these in. Here's the first one. Get ready by pursuing godliness. Get ready by pursuing godliness. <clears throat> Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. Remember, Peter's talking about all these things that are going to take place on this planet. And then he says this in, 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 in verse 11, 2 Peter chapter 3. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now, taken by itself, it sounds like a question. It's not. It's really a statement. What he's saying is this. Since these things are, are, are coming, live a pure life. Now, some of you already know this. Some of you are about to find this out. But there are lots of things to go after in this life. There are lots of things. Here's the message of Peter. Pursue God. Go after God. Go hard after God. First, this means getting on the right side of God. You know how you do that? You do that by agreeing about your sin with God instead of arguing with God about your sin. And after you just agree with God about your sin and recognizing the wrong that you've done, you seek to make things right. The Bible uses a couple of really big words for this. It calls that confession and repentance. Repentance is a word simply means to turn around. Second, we accept the way of salvation. The way of salvation is trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Two things happen as a result of this. Number one, God forgives you. That's huge. But secondly, after he forgives you, he begins to transform your life. We call this being born again. Rico, thank you for your words. Coming up next service. But Rico... And the two that are getting baptized next service have begun to have their lives transformed by Christ. They aren't doing it. Rico gave a great testimony to that. It's God working in them. I don't know about you, but I am thrilled. This is something that wakes me up with a smile on my face most every day. I am thrilled that I don't have to beat my bad habits before God accepts me. I don't have to beat my bad habits before God accepts me. If I had to beat my bad bad habits before God accepts me, I'd be waiting a long time for God to accept me, right? We're all there. We're all there. But once God accepts me, and the way God accepts me is through Jesus Christ. We talk about this a lot from our Galatians series. We get Jesus' resume. It's as if if God the Father, the righteous judge, looks at Jesus' resume and says, that's you, you're in. And Jesus took our crummy resume our flawed resume, and he took it on himself. That's what the cross is all about. That's why we sing about it, talk about it, reflect on it. Once we're accepted by God, here's what happens. God begins to give us new desires. Rico touched on that. New power to overcome sin. New ways of thinking. New attitudes. And that's the transformation. So when it says live lives of holiness and godliness, that's exactly what it's talking about. It's this transformed life that God begins to form in us. We have a saying around here that we like a lot. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are means this. Don't clean yourself up before you come to church. Don't try to kick your bad habits before you get right with God. It's impossible. That's the good news of the gospel. So come as you are, but don't stay that way. We will love you around this place enough to tell you the hard truth. We will love you around this place enough to allow you to tell us the hard truth. Jesus is filled with truth and grace. So in a graceful way, you'll hear the truth around here. Brother, you're messing up. Sister, you're enslaved to that. I don't think you can see that. So come as you are, but don't stay that way. That's the process of allowing God to change us and free us. Now, there's certain kinds of knowledge that produce action. Where's an Adam? Is there an Adam kid in the, oh, there are other, the youth are off. Travis, you're here. Travis, if you hear there's a test on Friday and it's Monday, what is that prompt in you? Study. Good answer. I knew, I knew there were some kids I shouldn't ask, but I knew I could ask Travis. Travis, Travis would get that one right. There's some knowledge that produces certain kinds of activity. Hey, there's a test on Friday. The neighbors are joining us for dinner. Uh, thanks, hon. It's 3.30, right? Um, the inspectors are stopping by at 5. Jesus is coming back. Preparation. Get ready. And stay ready. Look at verse 14. Peter's saying this again. Listen for the knowledge that prompts action idea. Verse 14 in 2 Peter 3. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. Some of your translations say make every effort. You know what that communicates? It communicates the Christian life is not just a walk but a hike. A hike is an enjoyable flat stroll through the woods at times, and it's really strenuous sometimes. That's the Christian walk. If I could sum up what he's saying with this, here it is. Do your best to be found living at your best. And if you were to go back to chapter 1 of Second Peter, you'd see this beautiful partnership where God's given us everything we need for a godly life. And right on the heels of that, here's what he says. Therefore, because of that, make every effort to add to your faith. And then he starts building his block. So so it's working with that. If you look around you, you realize this. Most filmmakers in the world today are not seeking to build up godly character in you. Some of you will get some of these maybe in a a couple weeks or so. There are many, many songs on iTunes that do not draw your heart to purity, that do not lift your eyes to the things of the kingdom of God. Here's what that means. That means that you need to choose. Man, I I can't believe what Rico said. Rico and I reviewed some of the things that he might say on Sunday. I don't think he said many of them. He said it better this morning. But one of the things he said was this, the idea of discernment. This is a godly gift. It's called common sense. It's discernment. It's what wells up in you um, to, to be able to make choices like this. How do you distinguish between what is good and what should be thrown out as garbage? It's that still, small voice in you. God's given it to you. You don't even have to profess Christ to begin to know these things. It's called your conscience. How careful are you with what you put in your mouth? I mean, think about this for a moment. What about grandma's fruitcake, right? I mean, you take fruit and cake. Those are two really good things. But together, they're an awful thing, right? I was duped as a kid. I was like, fruitcake, bring it on. And one bite later, right, I was scarred for life. So I don't ever eat fruitcake again. But when you see fruitcake, here's what you do. I know you. You're like, what is in that thing? Because it looks shiny and and colorful, but I don't know if I want that in my mouth. Right? You're cautious about what you put in your mouth. Be cautious about what you put in your soul. Be just as discerning about what you allow in. Because it matters. There's one more part of living godly that I want you to circle. It's on your notes. Verse 14. Verse 14. And at peace. So he he says earlier, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. That's more godliness, holy living. And then these three little words, and at peace. Did you know that the way that you treat your younger sister, the way that you treat your parents, your neighbors, your spouse, most likely has a lot more to say about your love for God than church attendance? Most likely has a whole lot more to say about your godliness than your Bible knowledge. Are church attendance and Bible knowledge good? I'm a pastor. The answer is yes. As a Christian, the answer is yes. Unequivocally. But the way that you treat other people is important. Look at James chapter 3, verse 17. You can just jot this down. You don't need to, to write it down. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. He says this: real wisdom, God's wisdom begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other. You're going to read a short little letter this afternoon that will take you about 20 minutes. Go to 1 John, the back of your Bible. The book of 1 John completely agrees with this idea that your godliness is wrapped up in your relationships. So you being a okay with God and terrible with everyone else, that doesn't jive according to the Bible. The Bible says those are linked explicitly. So... Not only do you get ready for Jesus' return by doing your best to be found living at your best, but secondly, by looking forward, by eagerness. It's December. Is anyone anticipating anything right now? Anyone at all? A little bit, right? There's some eagerness. There's some anticipation. Christmas is the season of that. Excitement is in the air. I don't know if you've ever tried to stay awake on Christmas Eve. Anyone ever tried to stay awake all through the night on Christmas Eve? Absolutely. My parents told me about a time one time I tended to sleepwalk and do all kinds of crazy things in my sleep when I was growing up. And they said that one time I remember trying to stay awake every year, and I'm not very good at it. I'm still not very good at it, but now I give in much easier. But I, I was trying to stay awake one time, and I came down um, to, to the, down the stairs, and my parents were down there. And uh, they said, I just came and sat down on the step. And they kind of were like looking over at me. It was pretty late. And uh, they were wondering what was going on. they said, so I said, go go back to bed, David. And so they said, I got up and I, I went a step step or two and I sat back down. And so they said, uh, go back to bed. And they just kind of walked me back up. And, and in my sleepy brain, I guess all I could track with was a step or two at a time. But I finally evidently made it back. Now, did I stay up because it was a chore and someone told me I had to do it? Of course not. I stayed up, and it wasn't easy, but it wasn't a chore. It was hard work, but I did it because I was longing for a great day that was coming. Christmas morning was about to arrive. And so I was staying awake. You know what Peter's doing? Here's what Peter's doing. Peter is saying this. He's saying stay awake for Jesus in that same way. It's not a chore to look expectantly for the return of Christ. It's staying awake on Christmas Eve. It's excitement. It's anticipation. And we welcome Jesus by having that. In our minds, If you remember from last week, there was a metaphor of what Jesus' return would be like. For those of you who are here, it was a thief. He'll come like a thief when we least expect it, right? Another biblical metaphor describing about Jesus' return um, is is birth pains. The idea of of how a pregnant woman suddenly will will start to have, have pain come on her. Think about what the phrase, we're expecting, means. It means we're having a baby. We're not exactly sure when, but, but we're having a baby. And this news is, is massive. It comes with a season for, for the woman at some point to say this. Honey, it's time. Yeah, we're going to have a welcome lunch after second service, and so it might be fun to ask some of the honey, it's time stories that are out there, because there are some funny ones. This is when the woman is there, and she realizes, wow, I think I'm about to give birth, and so she says, honey, it's time. Sometimes women are very calm about it, and men completely freak out about it. Sometimes women say it, the men don't get the message. Sometimes women say it, and the husband remembered from last time that that calm little voice isn't the real one. It's wait till she says, Honey, it's time now! And that means go get the bags. And so there's all kinds of stories that are out there. Um, we, we have several kids, and for us, two, two of the ones that stand out were, um, Tegan. My, my wife was, um, this was her fourth child by this time, so she was fairly calm. And she kept kind of putting it off, and I was like, Honey, is it time? Honey, is it time? And she was like, no, I'm good. And she realized, she's like, oh, I'm just going to sit in a hospital anyways. And in my mind, I'm going, I do not want to deliver this baby. That is not on my to-do list tonight. I don't want to do that. And so finally, she says, all right, it's about time. And my wife's pretty calm, you know, Becky. And so um, so we get to the hospital in the middle of the night. And literally, at Good Samaritan Hospital, we could not find a way inside. Literally, we, we could not get into the hospital. And I'm like, well, now this is nuts. Now we're here, and I'm going to have quite a story. It'll preach well, I'm sure. But we can't do this in the parking lot. And um, so that was one. And the second one, some of you enjoyed one of our honey, it's times with our adoption. We, uh, we had men's group going on one time. And some of you remember that Eli, from um, one of our kids from Ethiopia, his case was really delayed. And we were just praying like crazy that God would allow this to go through. And for the adoption world, honey, it's time is getting an email from an adoption agency or from a foreign government agency or whatever else it was. And we had just prayed at Men's Group, pouring out our heart, God, would you would you open the door for this to happen? And then several friends from Men's Group came. We were watching a late night sharks game, and Becky had checked one more time with the embassy over there in um in Ethiopia and got the email. And she's sitting there with a room full of our friends from church. And basically, in adoption terms, she said, honey, it's time. And 24 hours later, I was on a flight to Ethiopia to go bring him home. So that was, that was one of the exciting ones in our household that was so fun. But the honey, it's time, and the idea of expecting prompts preparation. Write that down. Expectation prompts preparation. Expecting Jesus is not exactly the same, but don't you get it? He is coming. There is a baby coming. We're not exactly sure when, but we know that it's coming, and we know that each day that passes is another day closer to Jesus' return. When someone finds out they're expecting, it leads to a lot of doing for most people. Think about you if you've had a child eating healthy, rest, exercise, lots of pickles, um, learning the best route to the hospital. Uh, lining up help, fixing up a nursery, making sure that the bags are packed, and then you just take lots of walks near the end, trying to let gravity help you out. Consider the alternative. Someone comes and says, oh, you're expecting, congratulations, you want a boy or a girl? Ah, I hadn't really thought about it much. Uh, how about names? Have you, have you, have you thought of that? Oh, there's lots of names out there. I'm sure we'll just kind of assign one at some point. Uh, How about a nursery? Are you you building up a nursery for the child? Are you excited about that? Uh, You know, I'm killing my video games right now. They've got me pretty tied up. I'm kind of busy with that, so I haven't put too much thought on that. Uh, Where where are you having the child at? Ah, I'm sure whatever's open at the time, you know, I'm sure we'll find somewhere to, to have the child. Now, someone who's responding that way, either one, doesn't really believe that a baby's coming, right? Or... They are completely clueless about what expecting means, what having a baby is all about, right? And so it is with us. Look at verse 12. Listen for the anticipation and for the excitement. Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. Verse 13, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. Verse 14, beloved, since you are waiting for these. And he goes on to give some instruction. This is really happening. Get ready. Last night, I held a five-pound, nine-ounce baby that was 24 hours old. It was the tiniest little peanut you've ever seen. She was beautiful. And as I sat there and held this baby, I remember doing this couple's wedding not that long ago. And I said, how surreal is this? They said, I know, it's crazy. And even though it's kind of real for a while, now they're holding a baby and their lives have changed for forever. And they're sitting there just in this glow of new parenthood. This has really happened. It really came. When you think about where you look and where you fix your gaze, my instruction would be this. Glance back, but look forward. Learn from the past, but don't live there. We do a lot of things as Christians to remember, to look back. But our gaze as Christians is forward. Our gaze is fixed above kind of the haze of what's constantly vying for our attention, and it's lifted elsewhere to the return of Christ. All right, one more way of getting ready. Look at verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Some of your verses say, translations might say, speeding the day along. What in the world is hastening the coming of the day of the Lord or speeding the day along? We don't really talk like that, do we? Here's how I would summarize it. I would say that we get ready by cooperating. Speeding the day along, hastening the day of the Lord is just cooperating. Just as milk and our bodies have an expiration date, so there's an expiration date to the creation that you see. It's not going to last forever as it is. Look at verse 12. Waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. That sounds pretty scary, right? Last week, we dealt all with the judgment side of things. Peter's saying that that the earth and the works of the earth are going to be judged with fire. So we'll leave that last week. Go back and listen to that. That's really important news. But let's get on to the good news of verse 13. But according to his promise, catch this, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth. What's it going to be like? Catch this. In which righteousness dwells. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Here's one of the things that he taught him to pray, and so I hope we pray as Christians. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. You know what that is? That's a prayer of cooperation. It's aligning yourself under God. It's looking forward to all of that he has planned and saying, I'm eager for it. I'm on board with it. I recognize that you're the business that we're in. Not my business, not my kingdom. We're building your kingdom. So hasten the day by being about the king's business, by aligning yourself with his will. Anyone else take family pictures sometime in the last fall, kind of winter season? Okay, yeah, some of you. Um, So we attempted it. And... uh, and we, we told our older children, we said, listen, we know you're not thrilled with this, but this is going to go a lot smoother if when it comes time to take pictures, you look at the camera, you hold still, you keep your eyes open, and you give some semblance of a smile, okay? If you are doing that as the older children and not acting like four-year-olds, then this will go fairly quick. Because there's coming an end to this process. That is the family picture and you getting on board with that will speed it along. Catch the picture. Okay. What characterizes four year olds when you're taking a family picture? I jotted down a couple of things. Distraction, narcolepsy, movement, forgetfulness. Okay. Let me show you an example. So here you have uh, a smiling family and everyone has their eyes open and they're looking at the camera except for a couple of people. Eli. Is all of a sudden utterly enthralled with his, with his older brother Ethan, and he's just giving him the sweetest smile. And, um, the other four-year-old suddenly discovered her feet. And she chose this moment to be thankful for her feet. Here's example number two. You have a smiling family, most looking at the, at the camera. But one of them has suddenly fallen asleep. And we've never seen this, uh, characteristic before, but here it is. Uh, here's another one smiling family, most looking at the camera. However, three of them have completely run out of smiles. Um, There comes a point at which you can no longer produce a smile, real or otherwise. Eventually, um, chaos ensues. uh, But one person in the family kept his wits about him and called for help, which which was good. Uh, we tried a different method, which is where the parents now hold the four-year-olds. You can see how good that's working. Leaves! Um, and the other ones in the family got jealous, and they wanted to hold someone also, so they picked <laughs> someone up. And because we're an odd-numbered family, uh, Tegan just held herself there in the front. <laughs> Cooperating with the family picture as the older ones speeds the process along, Right? So it is. We get ready for Jesus' return by cooperating with what He's doing. In fact, here's even a better picture: the elders are helping the younger's along, get in line with figuring out what their place is and how to speed the mission of lo- uh, speed the mission along. I don't know if you know this, but your verbal testimony—what Rico just did in front of a church, what you do tomorrow at the office—your verbal testimony about Jesus Christ speeds along His return. Listen to Jesus in Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Isn't that cool? So world missions and local evangelism, that is cooperating with God, and that is actually speeding the return of righteousness dwelling on the new heavens and the new earth. That's what we're about as Christians. Welcome Jesus back by being found ready. I want to close with this passage from Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10.22 says this, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And let us not give, us, give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That's the return of Christ. Come close to God. You know when you will pursue God is when you think you're accepted by Him. You know when you'll run from God when you don't think you're accepted by Him. In Jesus Christ, we get the resume of perfection. God sees us as he sees his son. You get that. You receive that. Guess what? You are drawn towards your heavenly father. You're drawn home. You don't get that. You'll run from God every single time. He also says, hold on. Hold on swervingly. That means keep watchful. Stay awake. On guard, right? Right? Stay watchful about what you're hoping in, what you anticipate, what you're eager for, what you are looking forward to today says a ton about what's going on in your heart and in your soul. If it's for the weekend, if it's for the sharks to win the Stanley Cup, if it's for some presents under the tree, if it's for the return of Christ, those say a lot about what's going to go on this week in your life. Finally, look forward. The future prompts some actions Today. Church, let's get creative on how to continue to spur one another on in the journey. The journey doesn't last forever. There's an end point. Let's get creative on how we keep encouraging one another, and let's keep that end picture in mind. Pray with me. God, we love you, and we're thankful for you sending your son. We're thankful for your word that instructs us on how to live in this life. Not as pre-programmed robots, but as human beings with a choice to welcome or ignore you. Father, I pray that this body of believers would live in such a way, God, that it's unmistakable that we're living for a future date, that we're storing up treasures in heaven and not here on earth. God, for maybe some who've been duped by this and this morning are having their eyes opened up, their mind is opening up to the possibility that a baby born 2,000 years ago has anything to do with them at all. God, I pray that you would awaken, stir, and fan into flame your truth. God, for those that you've revealed this to, let us walk humbly with that, knowing that we weren't righteous to seek you, but you were gracious to us. Let us be diligent to be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen.